0: away she is dreaming she is drifting never been so wide away captured in the moment by the beauty all around her there's nowhere else that she would rather be before we get started there is some explicit language so if you're going to listen to this and you have kids around headphones please headphones hello and welcome this is Karen Modicatus and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. I sit here today, and it's sunny and gorgeous. It was raining earlier this morning, and I've been really reflective, thinking about the show and how we're here, and it's now 2018. 2018. And the idea of the show came back from 2006. And I know some of you, Allie from Alabama, shout out to you. I got your card the other day. Thank you so much. You've been a longtime fan, one of the original listeners. But I think about those of you that either come in in the last couple of years or maybe in the last six months or who've been with me throughout the years and why I started this show. And back in 2006, my daughter was in kindergarten. And you know what? She's graduating in a, in a few months. In June she's going to be done with high school. She's going to be done with her education at this level before she goes off to university. And I remember being just such a hot mess, and that's why I wanted a show. Not that I wanted to host a show. I wanted a show that somebody could tell me what to do so that I could fix all my problems because I just felt like a failure. I believed I was a loser and I was doing it all wrong and I just needed somebody to teach me how to do it. And then somehow I became the person on the mic finding all those guests to come in and teach us and I learned along the way. And it's been 12 years now, blows my mind, we will be 12 years this October, but 12 years ago where this rumbling and this pain came from. And this is going to be so great because we're going to be talking today about how to face and overcome the silent assassin called shame. And now here's the thing: if you're just joining us, you're like, "Shame? Why is she talking about shame?" The rest of us know that I talk a lot about shame because even back in 2006, what I didn't realize, what I was really feeling, was shame. I thought I was a loser. I thought I was a messed up mother. I wasn't doing it right. I couldn't do my job. I couldn't do this. I wasn't enough, and I would just beat myself up. And I was filled with a lot of self hatred. And not that I say you have to go start your own radio show to come out of that, because that's what this show is going to be about for you. But that is what shame is. It's that self-hatred that we have. It's that there's something wrong with me. I am bad. I am broken. I'm not enough. I'm not doing it right. If only if I did it right, then I wouldn't have these problems. If only I did it right, then my kindergarten would be just so happy. If only I did it right, my blended family wouldn't have any problems. What I now know is, of course, there's beauty in the mess. But what I didn't know back in 2006 was that I was right where I was supposed to be, and I was going to be okay. So in today's show, I'm going to talk about how to face and overcome the silent assassin called shame. And for those of you that have been longtime listeners, you know, assassin's not a word that I typically use. It's not part of my language. And it's so interesting because my clients are often saying, battle, fight, right? And I'm like, no, how about let's love? And I'll get into that later on. But it's not about puffing up and battling. And I did that for a really long time. And especially back in 2006, I was battling myself and everybody else thinking that was going to help me overcome. And shame is a silent assassin it keeps us small. It keeps us in pain. It shuts down our voices. It shuts down who we are and we think we're bad. So that's why I'm calling it the silent assassin called shame. But first, in order to be able to face shame, you have to know what shame is. And I want to go through it some more because while it's, when I was talking in the introduction about that being that mom. And I, at that time I had a blended family, four kids living at home. And I had a uh, five-year-old, a three-year-old, a 15-year-old and an 18-year-old or 17-year-old in the house. You know, there were lots of tears. I was trying to figure out like, how can I do it all? How can I be that Angele commercial that really was a really painful belief along with the Brady Bunch? You guys remember the Brady Bunch? I would compare My life to the Brady Bunch, thinking that was how I was supposed to have a raised blended family. You know, the biggest problem was Marsha Brady getting her nose hit before I think a dance with a baseball, and her nose got really big. And there are no socks on the floor. There's no homework spread out all over the place. Her husband seems to be home quite often, and she has Alice who helps keep things together. Like that was what I was comparing my life to be that it was supposed to be. That was my gold standard. And there was no way I was measuring up. Well, first of all, I worked. I've always worked. So Carol didn't work. and But I thought that was the standard that I should be. And I would beat myself up and tell myself that there was something wrong with me. I didn't know what I was feeling was shame. I didn't even understand. I didn't understand that that feeling that I was so trying to avoid was the reason I would eat three bowls of ice cream at 1030 at night in hiding because I didn't want anyone to see that I was eating that. But I was there to numb. I was numbing myself in my life, because I was feeling this thing that I didn't even know. So one is, in order to be able to face it, you have to understand what is shame. Shame is a feeling. It doesn't mean that you're bad. We all feel it. And that is great news, because you're not alone, my friend. We all feel shame and shame is created by the stories that we tell ourselves, right? I know that you can sit there and listen to my Brady Bunch story and go, but Corinne, why would you compare yourself to a television show? But really, I know we do stuff like that. We're so good at comparing despair. We put these images of these lives that we're supposed to live and then we make them the gold standard for how we're supposed to live our life when they're not real. And reminding yourself that that's a TV show. I mean, one of the things that I remember one day when I finally got out of this illusion that my life needed to be the Brady Bunch was, well, wait a second. Where are, where's Carol's ex? Where's, was it Mike Brady? Where's Mike's ex? How come they're not in the picture? That left it pretty clean and tidy. Again, where are the darn socks that are on the floor? How come there's not crumbs on the counter? It was always clean and tidy and picked up. That, my friend, is not my real life. Maybe that's yours. It's not mine. So one is know what feeling you're feeling and feel it. Start to get noticed like, oh, this is shame. Where do you feel it? When I had Brene on my show, I mean, she was talking about her same shame sensations and how important it is to understand it because then you can feel like, oh, this is shame coming. And then what is the story that I'm telling myself? What is the story that I'm attaching to? And by story, I mean, what is the belief? So my belief was, I have to measure up to Carol Brady. And it wasn't even something I was really conscious of until years later, and I was unpacking it going, whoa, I'm comparing myself to a television show that I grew up watching. And I really started to pull it apart, like I've shared with you. When you can understand shame, and you can understand the stories, then you can check in and go, huh, is that really true? Should my life be like the brady bunch well no my life i want my life to be the way that the modocainas household wants my, our lives to be what are our family values you know what are the things that we do and one of the things that i always said with my kids as they're grown up is that we fly our freak flags high this is who we are different families have different rules and that is okay and i'm willing to be different and and i really own that so when I got out of this idea of who I was supposed to be, whether it was, again, the Brady Bunch, or there were so many different illusions, that Angele commercial, if you guys remember that, it was the woman who could bring home the bacon and fry it up in the pan and be a woman and do it all. Like I can't do it all. And there were times that was like, I didn't want to know how to cook. And there were times that I didn't want to do this. And that was okay. But who is it that you're? you are? And who is it you're comparing yourself and telling yourself you're supposed to be? So that could be one area that creates shame for you. Maybe you believe that you're a fraud at work. That happens often with my clients. They'll get a promotion or they want to step into this role and then they're like, oh my gosh, I'm a fraud. Or I've really tricked them, And which I always find fascinating because I'm like, oh. So like I had this one uh, veterinarian who was a client and uh, she's like, I- I'm a fraud. you know? And I was like, oh, so you tricked them going getting into vet school. She went to the best vet school, the number one vet school in the entire world. So you trick them getting into vet school, and then you trick them to give you a diploma, and then you trick them in your residency, and then you trick them to hire you, and then you trick them again to rehire you. At some point, when are you going to own this is my experience? It doesn't mean you know everything. It doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes. But we do that. So we say I'm a fraud. My my favorite saying to myself was I'm a loser. There's something wrong with me. But the thing is, is that we're not broken. So knowing the feeling of shame and really understanding it and knowing what is the story that triggers the shame inside of you. So for instance, years ago when I was really hardcore into Bikram yoga and I loved it and uh, my physical therapist was pretty adamant that there were certain poses I couldn't do because of my back. And so I talked with the owner of the studio and she was fine with that. And I didn't have any shame about it. I just said, well, this is what I'm not allowed to do. And I agree with this. And so are you okay with this? And I would go and I would try to be the least disruptive in the back of the room. And I would do my, do the poses that we did and I'd make the modifications. And sometimes I think I just laid on the ground. Like I didn't, it, I totally was not a problem. And I remember my girlfriend would go with me all the time and she's a physical therapist. And here's the thing, she really struggled With making modifications. And I have clients that do the same thing. Like, I had to give an assignment recently to a client who was about to have knee surgery, and, but the heat in her yoga studio and the yoga studio was fantastic for her. But she's like, oh, but I would go there and lie down and, you know, and I can't do it. But, and I said, well, the heat really works. So that was actually her homework assignment was you must go to yoga class and just be in the heat and lay down and not do any of the poses. And she was, jokingly not happy with me. (laughs) She was kind of out of her comfort zone. There were some F-bombs dropped when I told her her homework assignment and she did it. And it was a fascinating experiment for her because she's like, oh, I can do this. It's okay. Nobody cares. I'm not taking anything away from anybody else's experience by me laying here. And and being able to meet myself where I am. And even the yoga teacher had said to her, yes, do that. Meet yourself where you're at. You can get the collective energy of the group. You can get the heat of the, of the room, the space and be there with people. Because at that point she couldn't really do much of the exercises because it was right before her surgery. But that can be a shame trigger, right? Like if you don't think, oh, I'm any good at this, that can be a shame trigger. People are going to see what are these stories that these self beatings that we tell ourselves that create shame. So the first thing you need to do to be able to face shame is you have to know what it feels like and what are the stories you tell yourself. And then the next thing is, I said that shame is the silent assassin. And the reason for it is that until Brene Brown came along, we didn't talk about shame, right? It was like the elephant in the room that nobody talked about. It was like the, you know, well, I grew up with alcohol. Like I didn't talk about all that bad stuff. It's let's keep secrets. Let's be quiet. The problem with that is that shame loves secrecy. And that my friend is why it's a silent assassin. And shame continues to thrive and grow in silence. And so if you think about like Oprah Winfrey and when she talked about being molested, I mean, that was so groundbreaking because it was her Me Too story and our current Me Too stories that are going on in our country where people are talking about it. And people are like, oh, I'm not the only one. And then shame can't survive. Shame loves secrecy and it's a silent assassin. And what we try to do to disconnect from this feeling, because one is we don't really know what it is, shame, right? And two is we disconnect from it because it feels so horrible and we're so afraid of it. So there's three shields that we can use. One is we can hide away or we can numb. Hence what I was doing with the three bowls of ice cream. And I can tell you this, those bowls of ice cream, they were not little tiny. I had these little Ikea bowls that when my kids were really little, you know, they're really tiny. Those weren't the bowls. I had these big Williams Sonoma bowls. Those were the type of bowls, uh, three bowls of ice cream. But I would eat them in hiding. And I had so much shame at the time and I didn't even know it. I would look down and I'd be like, Who ate my ice cream? Where is it? It's gone. And I'd go back and get the second bowl and I'd be like, well, Where'd it go? It's gone. Because I was eating behind my back, three bowls of ice cream. And then I'd go to bed upset with myself because I thought, Wow. I have no discipline. I didn't realize that the root cause was the shame that I was feeling because I was beating myself up all day long about how I wasn't good enough, how I couldn't get it done, how I wasn't disciplined, whatever it was, whether it was with food, with exercise, with, you know, work, with raising my kids, with being a wife, with being a friend, like I could just had this list that wouldn't end about how I was broken. And I really wasn't even that aware of it. It was just kind of this constant humming in the back of my head and it was an irritant. So that's one shield that we can use is hiding and numbing. Thinking that, oh, it's going to get better. But as you can see and hear my story is that, okay, I numb and I eat these bowls of ice cream and then I just go to bed and beat the crap out of myself. Like, see, you're such a loser. You can't even control yourself. You're eating three bowls of ice cream. You're never going to be able to lose this weight. What the hell? Who do you think you are? That would go on. Then I'd wake up and be like, in, you know, exhausted from all that ice cream and be like, oh, yeah, today's just going to be horrible. And it was just this downward spiral. So that's one way. Another shield is approval whoring. And um, I know some people struggle with me using that term, but it was it's so important that I use it. And I know it resonates with so many of the listeners of the show. But it's that, let me get your approval of me, and then that will mean I'm okay Again, we're trying to compensate for the shame that we feel, and but we're trying to disconnect from it. So it's like, let me, look at me, yay me, look, validate me. The problem with the approval whoring that I found is that when our kids were little, this is a total tangent, but we used to have these timers, especially my older, the bon- my bonus kids, we have these, ton- these sand timers, you know, those hourglass timers, and we would use it. This is before the electric toothbrush, and they would have to brush their teeth as long as the sand was going. And, um, but that's what I look at approval whoring is that sand. So you flip it over and it's all full. You've got it. But soon enough, the sand goes down to the other side. And that's why approval whoring is not fulfilling. It It's just like that ice cream that I was eating. It's not filling. And we sell ourselves out. And really, do you want to sell yourself out? And then the other epiphany that I had one day was, Oh my gosh, I'm selling myself out for this person's opinion of me to like me, to validate me, but I don't even like this person or this person and I have totally different values. So why am I trying to get them to like me? And I'm compromising my own self and my values. That was like, whoa. So that's the second shield. The third shield is gladiator. And this, to this day, is my go-to. I'm really good at this. It's the, you're going to fuck with me, bring it on. I'm taking you down, right? And puffing up, gladiator, I'm going to show you that I'm not weak. Then there's the inner gladiator that we can do to ourselves, which is the same thing. The problem is, is that you may feel powerful in that moment, like puffing up, getting really big, telling them off all of that. The problem is it's just like the ice cream. You don't feel very good afterwards. There's a lot of regret and remorse. So those are, that's why shame is a silent assassin. Because look at all the stuff that we do to try to disconnect from it, but it creates more problems. We sabotage ourselves. We create, we get in our own way. And We don't want to do that. What we want is connection. What we want is belonging and shame gets in the way of that. So understanding that those are the things that get in the way of what we want and to overcome shame. It's not about fighting back. It's not about assassinating shame or battling shame because that's going gladiator. You don't need to battle. In order to overcome shame, it's about practicing self-compassion and empathy. Yes, I talk about this a lot. Compassion is not weakness. Compassion is not rationalizing. Compassion is not giving ourselves permission to eat three bowls of ice cream because that's not compassion. Compassionate people have boundaries it's not all or nothing. There's a lot of gray area. And that's where it gets really complicated for people because what is enough? And to be able to trust yourself and go inside and go, okay, where are these boundaries? What am I comfortable with? What am I not comfortable with? So the components of self-compassion are these three things. And I invite you to write it down. One is self-kindness and how that can look. So if you eat the three bowls of ice cream, you'd be like, wow, I just ate 3 bowls of ice cream. What was I what was I feeling that I was working so hard to numb? You know what was I so afraid of and it was a bad feeling. And here's the thing, I can do bad feelings. Maybe you need to be your own mother to yourself. Maybe you need to be your own parent to yourself. And talk to yourself in a loving way instead of what the hell's wrong with you? Why did you do that? That's really stupid. You're a life coach. Right? None of that stuff helps. And you're not a life coach, but I am. Right? None of that stuff helps. But being kind to yourself and saying, is this the kind of relationship I want to have with myself? Is this how I want to treat my body? Is this how I want to take care of myself? That is compassion. That is kindness. The other component of compassion is common humanity, realizing that, okay, if again, you're eating the three bowls of ice cream as an example is you're not the only person that is eating in secret, right? There's lots of people that do that. Or maybe it's not taking care of your finances, or maybe it's that you aren't taking care of yourself or that you don't honor commitments to yourself the way that you honor commitments to other people. You don't follow through and do the things that you say you're going to do. Whatever it is, it's saying, okay, I'm not the only person. It doesn't mean it's okay. And then it's about saying, okay, but what is it that I want to create? And then finally is the mindfulness piece, which is the understanding of what are you thinking and what are you feeling without attaching to it. So going back to my, the Brady Bunch story with the Brady Bunch, like, Oh, here's the story of how I believe I'm supposed to be raising my family. But wait a second. Is that how we want to raise our family? Are those our family values? Is that our family circumstance? Is that our reality? Well, how do we want to raise them? And instead of attaching to that, I was attaching to that story and then beating myself up about it. Instead, It's about saying, oh, there it is. Like I'm not attached to the Brady Bunch story anymore. So I can talk about it, but I'm not attached to it. I don't believe that that is how I'm supposed to raise my family. And it doesn't cause me pain and suffering. So that is being compassionate with yourself. The other part is having empathy. And that's about taking perspective, just like I did with the Brady Bunch story of, oh, perspective taking. It's like, huh, that's what I was thinking. This is what I was telling myself. These are the rules that I was telling myself I had to live by. And it can't even be in, oh my gosh, I have to write for work. right? I do a lot of writing and man, I have these stories that I'm such a bad writer. And because I remember my college days with punctuation and and having to write papers and those 10 page term papers that I just hated. And I have that story and I can get shut down. And since like, wait a second, is this something, is this information being able to be conveyed to whoever I'm sending it to? Like, I don't judge. Like, do you judge? I don't judge when I write an email to somebody of, oh, am I a good writer? Am I a bad writer? I don't think that. I think, oh, what's the message that I'm trying to convey to them? And then even if they don't understand, or maybe I do a crappy job, like, oh, I didn't really explain that very well. Let me explain it back. Same thing with speaking. Like, I don't really think much about the speaking. Like, I get up and I speak. But when I get into that performance place, I can shut down. And so I give you that: is these are different scenarios, whether it's raising our family, whether it's our relationship with food, our own health, it can be in jobs. We can all have these stories of how we're not enough. But when you have perspective and you can say, oh, well, wait a second, right? with the emails if I'm writing an email to somebody I don't go oh my gosh I'm such a bad writer and I'm going to get this punctuation wrong or the spelling like for me shame I do not have any shame triggers when it comes to spelling one of my girlfriends that's a huge shame trigger for her cuz she has a story that it's about intelligence like I don't have that it's like the same thing for me with Bikram yoga I don't have me not being able to do certain poses tied to any of my athletic worthiness so I'm really clean with that same with spelling if it miss I misspell stuff, I'm like, oh, that's okay, I misspelled it. It's not tied to my worthiness. But when I have to write for work, I can trigger myself because of my worthiness, and I have to let that stuff go. So that's the perspective taking. The other part of empathy is recognizing the emotion. What are you feeling? And that's what we were talking about earlier, like how to face and overcome the silent assassin called shame, is what are you feeling? Recognizing it, being able to understand and identify what is shame, what is frustration? What is sadness? I often find with my clients that when they'll ask them, okay, well, what are you feeling? And at first they'll be like, oh, I'm sad or I'm angry or I'm frustrated. And as we keep diving into it, what they realize is they're feeling shame. So even, and these are people that I work with for a year and they may have been working with me for six months, eight months, and it's still not top of mind for them to come up with, oh, I'm feeling shame. They they have a hard time identifying that feeling because They've been so fantastic at disconnecting from it. So even though we talk about it a lot here on the show, it's okay if you have a hard time still identifying it. And notice that's that common humanity piece I was talking about. You're not alone. So perspective taking, recognizing the emotion, sharing your story sharing your emotion and here's the key to this one though it's about sharing it with somebody who's earned the right to hear your story you want to make sure that you share it with somebody who you can trust who it will be a vault there'll be a vault like you can go and tell them this story that you have and they're not gonna go and pass it on right like what before I could even share the story of like I'm a loser because that was like a deep-seated limiting belief that I had. I didn't tell anybody that, which only allowed it to fester and grow. And then when I did start to get brave and I, well, first I had to recognize it myself and I had to own that story. But then it was who was a person I could share that with who wouldn't laugh at me, who could hold a compassionate space for me, who could be there for me. And I would share that. And now I'm so not connected to that. I'm not attached to that belief of I'm a loser. I can share it. I share it. I'm very public about it. But it took years for me to get there. I mean, this is years ago that I had this belief, and I remember one of my really good friends was like, "It doesn't really make sense that you believe you're a loser." I mean, let's can we just go through all of the all of your accomplishments, right? And it was so funny because I could hear her say that, and I was like, "No, no, let me let me prove to you that I really am a loser," and and she would just look at me kind of sideways. I don't understand what you're talking about, Karen. Right now, I don't have that same belief. I'm not attached to it. So I can share it publicly. But back then there was no way I was going to be talking about it publicly. So when you share your feelings and your thoughts, it has to be with somebody who's earned the right to hear your story. And that again is another part of part of compassion because compassionate people have boundaries. Of myself, it's like this is the story I'm telling myself. Judgment only creates more shame. So we want to stay out of judgment. And then finally, it goes back to to that mindfulness component that I talked about under self-compassion, the mindfulness piece of knowing your thoughts and your feelings without attaching to them, knowing your stories without attaching to them. I have this limiting belief of I'm a loser, right? It was something that I cultivated long, 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 long ago, probably it was probably fifth grade when that story came about that I put things together and I said, well, of course this is happening because I'm a loser. And I didn't even have those words, but it was that sensation that I would feel in my body. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I could actually verbalize that component. But now I can say, I can identify, oh, here's this belief. And I remember there was a long time when I was doing my work on this. And I realized that I used to have this belief of, I uh, had this visual Of it was a lizard, and the lizard would come knocking at my front door. And I had this front door that has a glass up on the top, so you can kind of look out. And there's a step, so I'm I'm above the the front doorstep, so I could kind of see who's knocking at the door. And all of a sudden, it's like when that belief of I'm a loser was coming, I'd be like, "Oh, somebody's knocking at my front door," and I'd be like, "It's the lizard, right? It's my lizard brain. It's it's the shame gremlin of telling me that I'm not enough." I'm a loser. And I would think, well, do I want to let them in my house? Well, no, I don't want to let somebody that's just going to beat on me in my house, emotionally beat on me. So I'm like, no, nobody's here. You know, I wouldn't even answer the door. But sometimes when I wasn't taking care of myself, I wasn't sleeping or whatever. I wasn't sleeping well, I was exhausted, you know, taking care of too much, doing too much work, I would let them in. And that was chaos in my brain. So that became a good visual for me, a good metaphor for me over time. And it was like, then I started to learn, oh, if the lizard or if the shame gremlin is coming to knock on my door, what is it I need right now? And oftentimes was I needed to go take care of myself. I needed to go to sleep. I needed to rest because I was probably, especially back when I'm thinking about this scenario was when I wasn't sleeping that much because I was like, I'm a busy person. I don't have time to sleep. So paying attention to the stories that you tell yourself and what feelings that they come up without attaching to them and checking in with them. Empathy and compassion is how you overcome shame. They are the antidotes to shame. And remember, the great news is, is you're not the only one that feels shame because we all do. And what it's about is understanding Where does it come from? Know what your shame triggers are. Know what the stories are, right? Bikram yoga, me not doing all the exercise, not a shame trigger. There was one about parenting that used to be a huge shame trigger. I've worked through that. So I'm much more shame resilient and shame resilience is when you can fall down and get back up. It doesn't mean I'm parent of the year because I can absolutely tell you I'm not. And I fall down. It's one of the hardest things that I do. And, and I love those people so much in my life, right? My children and stuff, but it's really, really hard. And, but it's about being shame resilient of like, yeah, there's those days I'm like, really? Maybe, maybe I am messing all this up. And then I pick myself up and I get back up or I make a mistake or I say something that was not my proudest moment, right? We can do this in our friendships too. We can maybe say something that's not in our proudest moment, but then how do we get back up and how do we, rebuild that connection that we may have done some damage to. So know your stories that you choose to believe in that are causing you the pain of shame. And here's the thing. We're so afraid. I was so afraid of this feeling of shame. I didn't even know it. And that's why I'm such a, I'm just so passionate about shame. Because when you can understand shame and you know shame, it can't take over your life. Like it was taking over my life. Three bowls of ice cream, a lot of numbing, a lot of going gladiator, a lot of approval whoring. I wasn't who I authentically was. And when you understand shame, when you know the stories, you get to get up and move through it. You get to be who you are. You get to own yourself and you get to fly your freak flag high and be who you are. Because isn't that what we want? We want to be seen. We want people to love all of us, not just the polished ones of us, but the whole part of us, the all of us. That's what we really want. And when you can overcome the silent assassin called shame, that's what you get. And there's so much beauty in that. And when you can realize that there's beauty in the messes in our lives, like we so often don't want to have that. And I'm often saying to my client, like, this is the beauty in the mess. Where's the beauty? Tell me what's so fantastic about this. And when they can see that and how these difficult things are their teachers, it gives them so much freedom instead of this shouldn't be happening. So I invite you to do your own practice of facing and overcoming shame. And I'm going to go through it real quickly. Know what shame feels like in your body. Know what stories trigger shame for you. Know what are your shame triggers. So maybe it is going out to an adult event. Maybe it is, it could be sex. It could be money. It could be job title. Knowing what it is that can trigger all of a sudden your brain beating the crap out of you, that then creates the shame, and then pay attention to which shield do you use? Do you hide away? Do you numb? Do you approval whore? Do you go gladiator on others? Do you go inner gladiator on yourselves? I used all three. I can still use all three. They're deeply programmed. I don't use the hiding and the numbing quite so much, um, and I don't really use the approval whoring. And it's so fascinating when I watch myself, I'm like, holy moly, what am I doing? Because sometimes that comes, but the gladiating thing, the offloading of pain is can still be a go-to, right? And the unfortunate thing is it's with the people that I love most on the planet where we can be short with, right? And or even with myself. So it is an ongoing practice for me to to, to let go of that, to let go of that disconnection from shame. And so it's like, Oh, this is what I'm feeling right now. It doesn't feel very good. I'm feeling shame. But here's the fantastic news. The worst thing that can happen is you can feel a bad feeling and you feel it and you understand what the story is. And then you can move through it because you can question it by checking in and having perspective of like, is that really true? Am I supposed to be Carol Brady? Absolutely not. I am Karen Modokitis. I am not Carol Brady. I am a very tall woman, you know, who has a very loud voice. I am not Carol Brady and that's okay. There's Carol Brady who was a TV character. And then there's me. And I invite you to go and practice this and be compassionate with yourself and be, give yourself empathy. And it's not about saying, oh, well, that's okay. You really had a hard day. You deserve three bowls of ice cream. Because I mean, ice cream is pretty fantastic, but by three bowls, you're not tasting it. It's not tasting very good. And you're probably not going to feel good afterwards. Because remember, compassionate people have boundaries, you know, and we do. And that's what we want to teach our kids. Those are the rules that we want to lead by in our companies and our organizations, that there are boundaries so that we can all work together. So I give you that as you go in and practice facing and overcoming your own shame. Thank you so much for being here today. Do you want to live a more conscious life? Overcome shame and fear? Learn to cultivate new stories about who you are and where you're going I've poured years of study and experience into my premium group coaching program to help you achieve all of this and much more. I call it Enough, Your Daring Year. And I want to invite you to take a look and apply for this program. To see all the details and apply today, go to HowSheReallyDoesIt.com forward slash enough. That's howshereallydoesit.com forward slash enough.